today I want to talk to you. We're going to start as a, as a church a 21-day feast. Now, maybe you've seen on Facebook a lot of other churches are doing a 21-day fast, and, and I wanted to sort of set the foundation for why we are feasting for 21 days as kind of not, not to be just contrarian or different, but because there's, there's a purpose and, and a point to why we shift what we do and why, um, why the feasting on Jesus is so important. And the repetition and the benefit of doing things over and over and over again. How many of you noticed, like, so we've got New Year's resolutions, and so everybody's like, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to be on a budget, I'm going to do all these things. And, I mean, what, today is the sixth. Most people have already fell off the wagon, <laughs> or whatever they resolve to do, right? And if not, you've got about a week, right? Why? Because the patterns that you've done for the last year plus, right, you've done over and over and over, and now you go, in a week, in a day, the turn of the new year, I'm going to do something totally different. But those old patterns, the repetition is, is, a, is a groove that you're, the, the needle of your life is so easy to, to run into, and then you play the same record over again. So what we want to do in this 21-day feast is shift what you're doing and do it over and over again for 21 days to develop a new way of thinking, a new pattern for you to approach how you see Jesus and your relationship with him. Because it's the repetition. It's not that you, you get saved every time, but it's, it's that you're, you're reminding yourself, again, this is what's true. This is what's true. This is what's true because how many of you know that the enemy has lied to you over and over and it's the repetition of the lie that eventually at some point most of us go, oh, that's probably true. It's not, but by the repetition and the constant barragement of the lie, we, we start to accept it. So we want to just reverse that game and say, let's repeat what is true until it, it becomes sealed and, and we own it. So we Today, I want to talk about what that feast is. And so communion is something that, uh, I mean, we have the communion table usually in the back, and it's an opportunity for you to take the body and blood of Christ. But we're going to unpack that more today because I believe that when we take communion, it is a reminder, it's a remembrance, it's a way of being intentional in connecting with the Lord. It was one of the things that he commanded to do before he went to the cross, one of the last things that that he gave to his disciples was communion. But I found in the church, we're kind of afraid of communion. Like you do it on like the first Wednesday of the month um, in evangelical circles. Now, high church, so like your Catholic and Anglican, they actually do it every week. And, and we've, the, the sort of evangelical movement, has, I think, has gotten away from that. And I think we've missed some of the benefit of actually taking communion regularly. And so as, as we get to this... For me, it started out, I, I was going to teach at a conference, and um, I had not, I'd prepared for the speaking part, but I had not prepared for the kind of spiritual turbulence that was going to happen <laughs> the day of the conference. And so I was first on deck on Saturday morning to, to preach, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and all physical symptoms were tilt. I couldn't decide if I was going to throw up, have a fever. What, I mean, everything was just wonky. Like, it was bad. And so I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do anything today. Like, I just want to, like, pull the covers over my head and not, like, get sick uh, to my stomach. And so we listened. We played some, um, some worship music, and it took about seven times of going through the song before, like, I could finally, like, just go back to sleep. I got, I got to the church where we were, we were teaching, and I felt bad the whole time until I got on stage. I was able to, to, to give the message, and as soon as I got off stage... It just came right back on me. And I was just like, what, what is this? I, I, I've not experienced anything like this before. And I talked to one of the other guys that was preaching, and he was like, oh, I've been, like, fasting and praying and doing all these other things. And I was like, bro, it would have been helpful if you'd have told me all the other things you were doing. Um, and then I realized in about six weeks, I was going to be teaching on spiritual warfare in the family. And I was like, well, that's a fight, <laughs> right? And I was like, I don't want this to happen again. And I'd been listening to, to Joseph Prince um, out of Singapore, and he said, I take communion every day. And I thought, I've never heard of such a thing. 
maybe I ought to do that. And I did it, and I felt like that was one of my better messages. But what I found was the fact that I was Christ-focused and not problem-focused, not even spiritual warfare-focused, but it was the focus on Christ that brought a breakthrough for me. And it was the repetition. And what I found was that when I took it every day, I went through the usual scriptures that I had learned. And then by about like day five or six, I was like, Lord, what, what else? What, like, okay, am I, if I'm just going to be focusing on this, that's fine. And so over that six-week period, I started digging in and going, all right, God, what else is there? How do we mine the richness of communion so that, uh, that there's more? Because I know there's more, right? You, when, you, when you engage with God, there's like level one. And then you keep going, and then he shows you level two. And level, and you, what you find is he's infinite, right? So you can be with him regularly, and it's, it's always something fresh for you. And even the same scriptures, they take you deeper, and you start going, oh, I, I never thought about this applying to that part of my life. And so through this, I ended up writing a 21-day communion challenge book. And so for every household, uh, it's not per person, but per household, we have, well, I've got about 50. We've got a good attendance today. So I have about 50 in the back um, for you to take as, as a facilitation of, of taking communion every day. And so today we're just going to walk through um, more, what's the background? Why do we do this? Why take communion, right? So part of our mission uh, and, and what uh, Caleb has, has been teaching is we want to know nothing but Christ crucified, right? And so this is part of the mystery that he left us at the end, I mean, in John 6, he had just fed the 5,000, right? And so they were all like, this was great. We showed up, and, and we got, like, fish tacos for, like, everyone, and uh, we want more of that. And so Jesus goes on the other side of the lake, and they follow him over there. And, and, he, uh, and so they're like, Jesus, you know, we love you. And he's like, I think you're here for the food. How about this for a church growth strategy? Eat me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and we'll see how many people show up at the end of the day. I mean, seriously, John 6, read it. Most of the people leave. They're like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm pretty sure the Old Testament has some rules about cannibalism, Jesus. Right? I mean, you read it, and, and the, he, he looks at the disciples at the end, and he goes, are you guys leaving too? Because everybody's like... I think he's actually serious. Like, eat, eat, eat his flesh, drink his blood? Weirdo. Right? And, and Peter goes, where else am I going to go? You have the words of life. And so then he teaches that this is about, this is the, the belief that he is the bread of life. That, that when, we, when we take in his words and when we believe what he's saying, we experience life. So we're going to unpack this a little bit more. Um, you know, the, so I, I, I prepared my notes, and then uh, this morning I was reading, I started um, the Bible in a year again. It's been a while since I've done that. And so it's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm and Proverb. It's in U version, um, but I've got like the old school, like real paper version. And uh, so I was going back through it, and today, January 6th, uh, it reminded me of the first mention of communion that was not in my notes. And so I was like, I think that's a sign. So in Genesis 14, uh, 17 through 20, this is when Abraham is returning from rescuing his nephew Lot, right? So uh, Lot had moved to Sodom and Gomorrah, and there were a bunch of kings that came in and whooped up on Sodom and Gomorrah and took all, all of them captive, and including Lot. And so Abram... Uh, Abraham, in his pre-name, uh, goes to rescue him. He gets, he gets some folks together, and they go, and they retake Lot and all the loot that the raiding kings had taken from Sodom and Gomorrah. And so they're on their way back, and in uh, chapter 14, verse 17, it says, After Abram returned from defeating Kinderlarmer, um, 
We'll give you a free book if you can say that quickly three times. Um, and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveth, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Here it is, the first communion. The king of peace, the archetype of Jesus, brought Abram bread and wine. It says, he was the priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So here's what's interesting. The first time you have communion, you also have the first, first tithe given. In response to the body and blood, the, the, the bread and the wine being given, Abram's response was to give. And so as I just want to encourage you, as we come into this new year and as you experience what the Lord is doing for you. The response out of our heart is one, just like he gave to us, we turn around and give. And so it's out of, out of amazement, out of thank you, Jesus. That's where the tithe was birthed. And we use it so much as it's guilt, it's, it's a driver, it's, it's all these things. But it was a response that Abram had to being ministered to by the king of peace. And so we want to just, it was just a reminder, it wasn't in my notes, to go this year, would you consider responding the way Abram responded? We have a building fund, we have all these other things happening, but the pace of the vision <clears throat> moves in connection with the giving of our people. But that comes out of an encounter with Jesus. It comes out of receiving uh, from him from his body and blood. And so that was just, that was really fascinating for me because I, when I think about communion, I actually think uh, about Exodus when the blood was shed for the death angel to keep the death angel to, so that the death angel would pass over. If I can get this out, right? <clears throat> so they, they roast the lamb and they put the blood on the posts. And that, that really, and so Jesus was crucified at that same time that they, the Jews were remembering the Passover. So this is all connected to, to remembering what Jesus did for us. You know, this was around the 10th plague. So Exodus 12, God was going to give Egypt the, the, the coup de grace. This was the final, um, the final plague to fulfill the promise that God actually gave Abram shortly after uh, the verses that I read to you, he tells and prophesies to Abram that your seed will be like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky, and they will experience 400 years of slavery, but I will deliver them. So Abram knew ahead of time how things were going to go because the Lord told him, hey, there's tough times coming, but I will deliver them, and they will walk out with great wealth and healing. And so it just, there, there's so much that, that, gets, that gets packed into this. Um, but we look at, at the original Passover and how <clears throat> the lamb was, was roasted. And the roasting was the judgment fire <clears throat> that Jesus took for us. You're not judged by your sin because the lamb of God was roasted, was judged for you. That's why the lamb was slain. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain for your sin so that you can walk in the freedom. And the blood was put over the doorposts so that death will not be the end of your story, that you will not have the death angel come, right? They were exempt in the plague. The angel came through the land of Egypt, but everyone that had the blood on their doorpost was exempt. It's a special privilege for the people of God. You have an exemption pass. So when we talk about peace, that should give you peace, right? Peace, joy, because of the righteousness that he purchased for you. And so when we look, Jesus comes in, in Matthew 26 to, to put a new spin on the old covenant ceremony. <clears throat> 
the Old Covenant celebration of Passover, they were thinking, all right, well, you know, every year you have, you have all of the Old Testament uh, holy days that were reminding them of their sin and how they needed to sacrifice animals and how they had to fast and how they had to be called out. And Jesus goes, I'm going to take that, but what you didn't realize was that was a picture of me. And I'm here to do this once for all. And so while they're at the Last Supper in Matthew 26, uh, 26 through 28 in the NIV, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. So he's bringing this full circle back in from John 6, where he was talking to the other people, to, to the broad group, and saying, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and everybody's like, ooh, you've kind of gone off the rails there, Jesus. But he's coming back to go, hey, this is really what we're talking about. I am the bread of life. And then he said, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to him, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So there you see the, the body and the blood being laid out. Now, in this verse, it doesn't unpack very much about uh, the body. It just says, you know, do this. The blood, he, he does say, you know, this is part of the, the new covenant. And so, you know, you've got to think, at that time, they were going like, the, the new covenant? They didn't realize there was an old covenant. There was just the covenant. Right? So you, I mean, I don't know how developed things were if they had like, you know, we, today we go, well, you have the, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Here, they were just talking about, there's the covenant. He goes, I'm giving you a new covenant. And they're like, probably, of course, something new that I don't understand. Um, in Luke, though, it, it fleshes things out a little bit more. In Luke 22, 19, this is the same uh, setting. It's just uh, how Luke uh, uh, writes this, and, he, and in 19 it says, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? So this is kind of the nuance that Luke is pulling out. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In Vine's expository dictionary, that word remembrance is not like in memory of, like we have memorials to like people that have passed um, I remember, you know, we have like the JFK Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial. We have these other places where it's, it's sort of like a, a monument to the dead. In this case, it's, it's not in memory of, but it's an affectionate calling of the person himself to mind. So it says it's not in memory of, but it's an affectionate calling of the person himself to mind. So... When we do this, when we take communion in remembrance of him, it's not like, thank you, Jesus, for dying. It's going, I see you, Jesus. I see you in my mind. I am remembering that you did this for me. It's, you, you saw me before I even existed, and you did this for me. So this is... Um, this is, so it's, it's a turning. When we take communion, it's not just like this mechanical act. It's the turning. So if you think about repentance, repentance, what is repentance? It's to think differently afterward. It's a turning. I, I was doing this, and now that's not working. I am going to do this, right? And so when we think differently afterward and, and we turn, it's, it's going, well, there was sin, Jesus is saying, that's not who I am. I am over here, and I am in unity with him. That's what we want to have when you take communion. It's, it's going back. The, the, the union, communion has the union with Christ. And so we want you to, as you take it over 21 days, it's your union with Christ. It's your union with Christ every day. And so we want to think differently. So I want you to think differently about 1 Corinthians 11. This is the verse the section, uh, passage of scripture that most commonly uh, is taught around communion. It's a little long, so I'm going to kind of follow Caleb's lead and read and preach throughout the, throughout the verse. 
so 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, right? So this is a chastisement to the Corinthians for, for goofing things up, um, in particular about communion. He said, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there's divisions among you. Right, so part of what communion should do is bring us together. We have a common Savior. So as we uh, think about the divisions between, you know, pre, post, amillennial, pre, what, you know, pick whichever element you want to, to think that divides the church, communion should bring us back to a union with Christ. Right, so we don't want to have division within the church these different factions. Although he says there are different factions in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. So basically, you know, some of y'all are like off the rails. Give it a little southern uh, <laughs> paraphrase. So in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. He's bringing the, the correction stick, something fierce here. Let me just pause for one second and go... Um, I've, I've heard some teaching that wine in the, in, the, in the Bible is not like wine today. I have never seen someone drink so much grape juice that they uh, got like Noah, right? I mean, Noah ended up like naked, you know. It's just awkward. Um, so there's part, you know. I, I, I had a very respected pastor that I was listening to on the radio, and he did like a three- Part series on like how the wine in the Bible was different. And I just, I had to stop listening to this whole ministry because I was like, the clear reading of both Old and New Testament, like, <laughs> it's wine, folks. Um, so, but, we, so we want to just kind of take this, <laughs> literally, um, but because he's talking to him and going, listen, the, the, the church should be unified in taking communion. They come together. This isn't, and so what was happening was this was part of a meal. So they were having a meal together, and part of that was this a time to remember Christ. But some people were showing up early, eating all the food, and then other people would show up, and they had nothing. And it's going, don't, part of being in love with Jesus is an awareness of those around you. You, you, you. The phrase, so heavenly minded, no earthly good, should just never be said about a Christ follower. Because, and what Paul is saying is like, you guys aren't paying attention to the people around you. You have people that, that are hungry. You're eating all the food at the potluck, and they're showing up a little late and got nothing. <laughs> That's right, they ate all the chicken. <laughs> it's a Baptist potluck. Fried chicken is mandatory. Um, but he's basically saying, listen, when you come together, this isn't just to, for food, right? The, the, the natural food is, is not the point. That's, that's connected to community and being thoughtful. But he wants to go on. He says, for what I received from the Lord, for, oh, I'm sorry, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, and that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the, the communion is also a prophetic act. It's a declaration of, of what is and what is to come. That not only did he die 
and, and raise again. He's coming back. That victory is yours, and victory will be enforced. So sometimes we just, we get so stuck in like, it's like a cracker and juice, or it's a cracker and wine. Like, there, there is so much prophetic symbolism in this to go, I am participating with Jesus in this. That it, because your food becomes part of you, right? Your body assimilates it, breaks it down, and it becomes nutrients for your whole body. This is, you're, you're, this is prophetically taking in Jesus so that what, what he has done with the supernatural regeneration of your spirit, you're reminded of that. It's, it's, it's a, it, there's an activity that brings this truth to you. Now, Paul goes on. Therefore, whoever uh, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. This verse is what freaks most people out and why they don't take communion. So we want to we look at this. What is an unworthy manner? He goes on and says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So there's an examination that should happen. But he goes on and says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. All right, there's two parts to communion. The body and the blood. The body and the blood. Now, we, we run it together like it's one word, body and blood. Right? We're going to take communion. It's the body and blood. It's not one word. There's two distinct things that are happening with communion. So anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now you know why. Everybody's like, well, I don't know if I want to take communion, right? They're like, I don't want to be weak, ill, or die. Like, that's, that's a hammer. Um, but he says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So there's this discerning that we do when we take it that separates us from what's happening in the world. How many of you would like to discern something that will separate you from the natural consequences of the world? That's why Christ says, take communion. That's why Paul says, do this. There, there, there's a discerning that happens that reminds you of what is true. So he goes on and says, so then, my brothers, when you come together, eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let them eat at home, so that when you come together, it'll not be for judgment. And about the other things, I'll give directions when I come. But I want to go back and, and start to unpack a little bit. What is this about discerning the body? Because most of the time, we talk about the new covenant. We talk about uh, what, what Christ's blood has done. But what, what happened with his body? In 1 Corinthians 10, so before the chapter before this, Paul says, talking about, um, in verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of one bread. Part of the body is unity. So when we, when we take communion and we take the body, we are declaring that I am one with the bride of Christ. It's not me. It's we. And when you get a sense of the we in, in the community, then we have a greater, um, a greater perspective of what Christ is doing. Right? We care about those that have not yet come into the body, that are still walking in the, in the consequences of judgment. And we say, you need to know Jesus. You need to come into this. Why? Because I have a sense of the body and the bride, and I want, you know, we, we have the heart of Christ then that none should perish. But let's unpack this a little bit more. What happened to Jesus physically? 
2 Corinthians 8 9 says that he became poor for our sakes. Luke 18.31 says he was shamed and mocked, which was predicted by Isaiah in 61, Isaiah 61.7. Jesus was rejected by family and community, as in Mark 6. He was abandoned by God, Mark 27.46, so that we would never be abandoned. Right on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you felt forsaken, Jesus can identify with you and says, on the cross, I took that abandonment that you feel, I felt it, and I took it for you so that you would have a forever family. Some of you really need to know you have a forever family. Never left, never abandoned. The wounds that you feel from your childhood Jesus says, I will never leave you. That may have happened then, but I will never do that. He was rejected by religious leaders. I know just some of your stories and people being wounded by the church. It's so common. And yet he says, I experienced that too. And you can still walk in healing and anointing and what I have for you, and that doesn't change what you've, it's not invalidated you. I experienced, I took that on the cross so that you don't have to walk with that. We commonly know by his wounds we are healed. Right? Bodily, he took sickness, illness. He was hung on a tree to take curses for us. Everything that set itself up for death to operate, he took in his body. That's why when we discern the body, that's why when we discern the body, we, have, we are able to step out of illness, sickness, death. That's the judgment that Paul was talking about. So you are able to walk in greater freedom because you go, this illness is not me. He took it, and I'm remembering this. I'm calling it to mind because it's not me, and it's not my destiny. It's been paid for. It's been paid for. That's why we remember the body. And that's why as we, as we look at 1 Corinthians 11, without discerning the body, eating and drinking judgment on themselves. It's because they're unaware. It's the ignorance of what Jesus has done that allows the lies to stay. It's the ignorance. It's not that, like, you're stupid. Like, there's a difference. Stupid is just like, you can't get it. You're dumb, right? Ignorance is you just don't know. So you can cure ignorance. It's hard to cure stupid. You need a, a supernatural miracle. I'm about to get in trouble here. Um, so don't, don't be ignorant of what Jesus has done. As you dig in and as you take this, it's a reminder. It becomes a filter to say what is it. Maybe there's a lie that I believe about one of these elements about being abandoned, about my health, about the, the religious leaders that have, that have been in my life. And we're able to then say, I am part of the bride of Christ. And I can walk in, in that healing and that wholeness. Now, we want to move to the blood. In Hebrews Nine, it says the blood is the mediator of the new covenant. It moves us into our eternal inheritance. In Hebrews 12, it says the blood calls out forgiveness. Right? So in Genesis, it talks about when Cain killed Abel, Genesis says that Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. This isn't right. What happened was wrong. I was murdered. There's judgment and justice that needs to come. In this case... It says, but Jesus' blood speaks of a better thing. It says healing. It says restoration. 
It says forgiveness. It says, you're okay. You're going to make it because you're in the king. You're with the king. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, but we walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? So his blood, where you feel dirty, where you feel like it doesn't measure up, where there is that residue of, of shame, the blood is cleansing. I can walk in whiteness. My garments are white because of my righteousness, not mine. Of, of old, but mine that comes from Jesus living in me, my unity with him. I am one with him. Because sometimes we get stuck in like the propositional theology. Well, uh, positionally, I'm with Jesus. But what that does is it allows your brain to go, yeah, but we really know about you. And shame still stays. We want to get away from the, 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 well, the propositional, but go, I'm going to own the cleansing of my conscience because of what Jesus has done. The blood was shed so that I have no guilty conscience. Those acts I may have done, but I don't feel guilt because I have been absolved. I am free to walk into my future without carrying the shackles of the past. And so we, that, that cleansing is, is what, was what really sets us free to go, I don't have to carry the, the junk of the past. I found some meme, it was, uh, this guy was like, it looked like digging a, a sandbag. And he goes to haul it over his shoulder, and the weight of the sandbag just takes him right over. And I'm like, that's us so many times. We're like, I'm going to pack my bag, and I've got it. And, you know, the, the, the guilt in the bag just takes us right over and knocks us out, you know. His blood cleanses that. In Hebrews 9, it says his blood cleanses our conscience. Why? So that we can serve with a pure heart. God has a destiny for you. God has a plan for you. He is calling you into a connection with him. We are called as joint heirs with Christ. The goal is by the end of this age, this eon, that everything would be under Christ's feet, right? He is seated until all powers, principalities, and rulers are brought under his feet. So there's, there's a work for you to do. There's, there's a participation. It's not a working for salvation. It's, it's, a, it's a call to walk out the identity that he's given you as a son or daughter to reign and rule on this earth. And, and there's just part, as we look at... Um, as we look at our eschatology, like what do we think is going to happen at the end? If you're waiting to punch out, you, how, how are you thinking about solutions for today's problems? Whether or not you take the literal fire at the end of the age that rolls up the earth, what you're learning now is a stewardship principle. Did you know your character will go with you to the other side? That, that, that's part of what transfers with us. We get a new body, right? But the discipline that we've learned to trust God, to hear God, to stay connected to God in obedience, to walk out part of what he's doing here and now calls us to go, how do I, how do I believe God for practical solutions today? I know some of you are, are involved with the, the foster care system. Those are practical solutions today of these kids. That's just one area. You know, it's like you can pray for a city, but let me tell you, if, if the sanitation folks don't show up to work, city's a mess. We don't think about that. How many of you pray for the sanitation department to work? <laughs> one. <laughs> yes. But, um, but it's, it's those kinds of things that say our, our faith and, and what God has done through communion, through the union with him, should drive us to a place that becomes practical so that when we say, I'm praying for my city, my city is truly better, not just spiritually. I mean, we want people to encounter Jesus. 
right? That's, but that's, that's like level one. And that becomes why our, our theology gets stunted. Because our whole goal is to get someone across, across the line. And it's sort of like sales and, and um, you know, the, the, the folks that actually, like, produce the stuff. you got salesmen out selling, but there's no one in the production side. So we get all these people that make a commitment for Jesus, but that no one's told them, hey, there's more for you to do so that the world around you gets to see fruit. Right? I was talking with a friend of mine who uh, I'm still waiting for him to fully encounter Jesus, but he's been in a lot of religious circles. And he was telling me about a friend of his who came out of um, drug rehab, and he met Jesus in drug rehab. So it's kind of like, yay, that's great. But here's the thing. Just because you found Jesus doesn't mean people should trust you. The fruit of repentance should manifest in trust. Because what happens is we go, you met Jesus, that's great. I'm going to trust you. Like, here's my wallet, right? And they're like, I haven't built enough character yet. I haven't walked out all that Jesus has bought for me to produce all the fruit to earn the trust, right? So there, there's part that there's the salvation that we want people to encounter, but then there's the fruit of repentance. There's the turning. There is the relearning. There is the discipleship element. And when we miss that, then people like my friend are like, he met Jesus, but like, you know, people then trust him, and then they break trust, and they go, well, I don't trust Jesus. And it's like, well, that, you, you conflated two different ideas. But we do that so often in church that our, a declaration, a verbal declaration about Jesus becomes a proxy for trust. Trust is earned. You, you show it and, and you prove to people that you are trustworthy. And often trust is given and then it's lost and then it has to be re-earned. And so as we walk through this, we want to have communion renew our mind so that when we're walking in the world, they go, I want what you have because you are trustworthy. You are a light. You bring solutions to my pain. You don't just tell me that when I punch out, things will be better. Jesus met the needs of the people around him. That's why they showed up for food. And he was like, I'm not sure, you know, how real this discipleship model is, so I'm going to give you a test, right? <laughs> Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And everybody's like, pass. And, and they moved on. But those that that were, were intentional, those that were like, there's something more here. Let me stay and see if he explains this further. And that's where we, we don't want people just to be like, I came forward for an altar call, but there was no discipleship. There was no waiting to see what else Jesus was going to say to them so that when they walk out their, their calling, people are like, that I want to be a part of. And as a church, that's what we want to be a part of. We want people to come know Jesus. But we want them to be transformed so that when they go back out, people are like, yes, that is a problem solver. I see some of the little videos on, on Facebook about people who have, like, cleaned up their lakes or they're cleaning up the ocean. And they, they, they have these ideas that come to them about whether it's the machine that just pulls the garbage up or the guy that has some kind of organic flock blanket that, you can skim off all the garbage out of the lake, right? There's, there's, but they're looking and going, there's a problem, and I, I want to find a solution. What if, as Christians, whether it's in your job or at your school or at your house, you are intentionally asking the Lord, I am connected with you. Let me have a, a kingdom solution to what's around us so that as we are united with him, our lives are transformed. The lies that we believe come under the blood and are dealt with by the body. And then our world is transformed. Because as we start 2019, and as we look at what God is calling us to do, what he's calling the church to do, uh, sort of corporately, but really the main point of the resting place church is to equip the saints, that's you, to do the work of God in your sphere of influence. We don't need a bigger church. We need an equipped church 
to actually go out and show up. And so part of, you're going to be seeing some things as we roll out um, in 2019, different opportunities to be equipped, whether it's through the, uh, the community collective leadership program and how to uh, get trained to run uh, or to facilitate uh, collective groups, whether it is through uh, different school opportunities that we're going to start creating, whether it's online programs that we're going to be developing. We want to equip you in your sphere of influence because there's, there's only so much a church can do. And we've seen churches that have grown big and, that they've, they've, and they do good things. But what if all of the Christians in Tampa, in Hillsborough County, actually carried the kingdom to where they were? What if, what, if, what if the schools, what if your workplace actually had Jesus there going, I'll tell you a story. I was um, running my law practice a number of years ago, and QuickBooks, I can't decide if it's a demonic thing that I have to deal with or if there's something righteous that's still yet to be redeemed in my life. But um, QuickBooks was giving me a fit. I was like eight cents off in my reconciliation, and you're going like, oh. But you know what? It's not eight cents. There's like four or five entries that are all off, and they just add up to being eight cents off, right? And so I was just, there was a moment where I was going through, and it's just like line by line. And I'm like, an hour of just mind-numbing, sweet Jesus, I'm ready. For, you know, I don't, rapture me now because this is, you know, right? And so um, I prayed, finally, after an hour of pain. And all of a sudden, it was like the items were highlighted. This one's off by 10 cents. This one's off by $1.50. This one's off. And it was just like, bup, 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 reconciled. So after praying, it was about 10 minutes worth of work where I'd spent an hour on my own. But how many of you are having those kinds of challenges at work or at home or at school? Right? Yeah. And, and so it's going, Jesus, would you bring me the revelation to solve this problem? Would you bring me the revelation so that my finances are healed? Right? Because there's part where, Lord, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a $100,000 miracle. And he says, if I dropped $100,000 on you, the results would be the same as if you'd won the lottery, if I'd given you some scratch-off tickets. And there's part where we, we see in the natural people that are given a lot of money, millions of dollars in the lottery, they're usually worse off in a year than they were before they won the lottery. Why? They needed skill. It was a skill issue. It wasn't an identity issue. And so what we want is to call you forth and to say, in 2019, would you ask the Lord what skills you need to walk into the destiny that he has for you? Because when you look at Daniel, Daniel was second to the king for like, four or five kings, he outlasted like a whole bunch of leaders in Babylon, right? The most wicked country at the time. And when the kings, when he had the dream, or when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream, he said, oh, king, may you live forever. How many of us say that about leaders that we don't like here in America? Oh, pick your president. May you live forever, Right? Somewhere between the last two elections, you probably got someone that you like and don't like. May you live forever, right? Daniel had a, a way of understanding both how to deal with the wicked, and he had administrative skills. He rocked the socks off of that deal, and nobody, he was without, um, the, the, they couldn't find anything wrong with his administration. They were trying to get him pulled out. Tried to, you know, and those times almost assassinated for, for what he was doing as a righteous leader. But there was no iniquity. There was nothing that he was doing wrong. But he had the skill to run that. And so I want to encourage you, as we move forward, the Lord has skills for you to learn so that you can fulfill the destiny that he has because what's got you to where you are won't take you all the way. And the, the divine revelation is there. So as we close today, I want to invite um, everyone that's made a decision for Christ to come forward and, and take communion.
and we'll do this at the end. And then at the end, uh, when everything's over and the service is dismissed, there's a table in the back. And again, if you just take one per household of the 21-day communion challenge, it, it's a free resource that we're providing to you to, to give you something to meditate on each day of the 21 days so that you can walk through what is the foundation, what is the body, what is the blood. And there's also a little, um, Gigi talked about the little uh, kind of love note that she got. There's, there should be one uh, for every adult um, here because we have about 90. So full house, we're getting close. Um, but they're, they're there, so just ask the Lord which one you should pick up. They're just like a little, a little book with a word for you. And so, uh, because we want to equip you. The goal is to equip you. Because we see the value in how God made you. That you are worthy, that you are worthy of being poured into, of being equipped. Because the Lord delights in you. And so, I just am... Um, proud of the team that we have here that, that is coming alongside to say, we want to lay down our lives to see you equipped, to see you succeed in your walk with the Lord. So um, if we can run some background music, and then as, as we close today, I'm just going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to invite you just to come forward. If you've never taken communion kind of in this manner, just take the cracker dip it in the juice, and pause for a second. Pause for, you can, if, if you're going to pause for a while, we just ask if you step aside, right, and let other people go. But we want you to, to pause and remember the body broken for you, for your healing, for your wholeness, for the restoration of everything that's gone wrong. Jesus says, I've come to make it right. And the blood that says, paid for, telestai, right, Tele that your debts are paid, your conscience can be clean because Jesus paid the price. Jesus, we thank you for this time, we thank you for your body, for your blood, for the opportunity at the beginning of the year to say we are going to feast on what is true, on what is glorious, on what is righteous, on what is joyful. Lord, we thank you that you call us deeper into a love experience with you. And so, Lord, I pray that as everyone comes forward to take communion, that they would encounter you afresh, deeper, Lord. And I just pray that you would equip us as we go out to see you in, in our daily lives, Lord, that you care about the details. You care about the small things. You care about just the, the little aggravations that we, that we face. Lord, we, we put those under the blood, and we just say, Jesus, you reign over them. We pray over the big things, the things that... We're just like, Lord, I can't even get my head around this problem. Lord, we thank you that it's not too big for you, that you have all ability, all power, all authority. Everything is put under your feet. And so, Lord, we thank you and we bless you. And I just bless uh, everyone here. I bless everyone online. And I just say 2019 shall be a blessed year in Jesus' name.